1 Samuel chapter 17. In the valley of Ella, on one side are the Philistines. They're marauding sea people who archaeologists tell us they were a relatively sophisticated but pagan people. On the other side of the valley are the Israelites, God's people, weaker, smaller. There's a stalemate. And every morning, between the two forces, right out in the middle of the valley, comes this mighty warrior named Goliath, who is a giant of a man. Modern scholarship says he was probably around six foot nine inches tall, which is something today, like the size of maybe a modern defensive end from the NFL. But in the ancient world, when the average height in that time was about five foot, you can see how he'd be described as a giant. Goliath comes out in the Bible, makes it very clear. He's also not just a huge man, he's someone wearing uh, state-of-the-art armor. We get specific details about how much his armor weighed and how long his spear was and how heavy it was and so on. And Goliath comes out every morning and challenges the Israelites to send a champion to fight him in single combat. And they refuse and they're afraid. And with good reason, because Goliath seems invincible. It seems like he cannot be beat and it seems that the result of the fight is inevitable. Defeat and death by the Israelite who challenges him. So for a number of days they've been standing there in stalemate. Goliaths today are the same way. They're the things that seem in our lives invincible and the results are inevitable. We have Goliaths in our city. One to me seems to be drugs and drug trafficking. It seems that the drug dealers and the drug lords coming up from Mexico are invincible. We can't fight them. They have more money. They have more desire. They have more weapons. They have the power of addiction. It seems that the result is inevitable. That's one of the Goliaths in our city. What about our schools? In Dallas, we have failing schools, many of them. And there's the partnership between poverty and dropouts and teen pregnancy and absentee fathers. And it seems that the forces against educating our children are invincible and the result is inevitable. And in many of our families, it seems the same way. We have a a culture of broken homes and parents who aren't able emotionally to care for their kids, but they are able physically to have children. And so we have children growing up with nothing the world values. It seems these problems are invincible. And what about here in our congregation in our own lives? We have some of our own Goliaths. There's a lot of our families who struggle with infertility. It seems that to conceive is impossible. And the foe is invincible and the result inevitable. Some of us this morning struggle with addiction. That's a Goliath that seems very strong. What about just in our homes, just decades perhaps of of irreconcilable bitterness and guilt and shame. Some things seem invincible among us. And there's others of us here today who for whatever reason are fighting the Goliath of despair. They Maybe they're out of work, maybe they can't be healed, maybe they are lonely, I, I don't know what it is. But those things seem invincible and the result inevitable. A hopeless life going forward day after day, year after year. The Israelites were afraid to fight Goliath because he seemed invincible and the result inevitable. And we have the same sorts of Goliaths in our lives today. Not physical ones usually, but other ones perhaps just or even more important. So on one side of the Valley of Ella you have the Philistines and the other side you have the Israelites. And you have this little boy young teenage boy perhaps named David. He's the eighth and overlooked son of an aging man from Bethlehem named Jesse. David's three eldest brothers are at the front. They're fighting with the Israelite king whose name is Saul. And David's job is to stay home and take care of the sheep. But his dad gives him some jobs and one day he says, son I need you to run and take this food and supplies to the men at the front. So David runs to the front. He leaves his sheep in charge of somebody else and when he gets there he does what any red-blooded 
flooded boy would do. He drops his packages as quickly as possible, runs right to where the action is. And David is ashamed and dismayed and shocked to see the spectacle of Goliath out taunting the Israelites. Because Goliath is not just taunting the Israelites. David rightly sees it. It's a theological battle as well. Goliath is taunting Israel's God. And David was a young boy. He doesn't yet, we would say, understand how the world works. And so he is ashamed and dismayed. And he begins to ask around. And and he finds out that the king has said, listen, anybody who defeats Goliath, I will reward richly. And David is asking about it. And his eldest brother, Eliab, overhears him. And he does what any older brother would do. He says, shut up. You're a little kid. Go back home. This is for the real men. And David's answer is one of my favorite in scripture. He says, what's it to you? What did I do now? And he turns away from his brother and he keeps talking. And gradually, David's talking brings him in front of the king. And I want you to hear this verse. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. David's standing before the king Saul. Again, this small, slight shepherd boy. And David says to Saul, verse 32, let no one's heart fail him because of Goliath. Your servant, that is me, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine because you're just a boy and he's been a warrior. But David decides that's what he's going to do. There's three points I want to make to you about this story today. This is one of the most famous stories in all of world literature for a good reason. We use the metaphor to describe when a small college fights a football powerhouse in, in the football field or in other things. When a small farmer takes on a big corporation. David and Goliath, but it's a powerful story, and here's the first point I want to make. It's this. We need to name and fight the Goliaths in our lives. Now, if you're not a Christian today, or you're not sure what you believe, this point applies to you as well. A human life needs a purpose to be a valuable life. You have to have a purpose in life. The reason I believe so many people of my generation, particularly men, live these lives of extended adolescence where they're spending all their time on the computer looking at pornography or online video games and smoking pot and not standing up and becoming men is because they live lives without purpose. They don't really know why they exist. If it's just to make money, they're not interested. The same is true for countries. I wonder if one of the reasons our country is the way it is is often as a country we don't know what our purpose is. What are the Goliaths that we're fighting? We're, di- you're, we're, we're not united. We're, we're all broken up with smaller things. Do you have a purpose in your life? I'd like to suggest this morning that you need to name your Goliaths and to fight them. Perhaps your Goliath is big. Perhaps it's orphans in Africa. Perhaps it's small. It's just the fight in your family for reconciliation between family members. I don't know what your Goliath is. Maybe it's kids who can't read in the Dallas ISD. Maybe it's a new way of doing business in your field. I'm not sure what it is, but you need to name it and fight it. We need to name a Goliath for our church as well and do it and fight it together. So here's Goliath standing out there challenging the armies of Israel. And here's small David who goes to the king and says, I'm going to fight that guy. And here's what happens. Saul says, you're just a boy. You can't fight him. And David says, I have confidence. And Saul says, you know what? I'll let you do it even though I'm not sanguine about your chances. But before you go, I need to put you in my armor. So he takes the armor of the king and puts it on this slight shepherd boy. It's sort of a funny scene if it weren't so serious. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 and 39. Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put his bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these. I'm not used to them. So David removed them. And then he took his staff in his hand, his trusty shepherd's crook, 
and he chooses five smooth stones. Isn't that a lovely detail? From the wadi, from the stream, and puts them in his shepherd's bag. And he puts a sling in his hand, and he goes to fight the Philistine. We need to name and fight the Goliaths in our lives, and I'll have more to say about that. But we need to resist the temptation to put on somebody else's armor. Trying to be somebody you're not, to wish you had something that you don't. If only I had this, if only I looked like that, if only the situation were like this. For two reasons. The first is this. When you put on somebody else's armor, it will ultimately kill you. If David were to go and fight Goliath wearing the armor that weighs him down that Saul has given him, he'd be a sure thing that he'd be die. Are you consumed with, uh, with envy and jealousy and the what ifs and the grass is greener? type philosophy in your profession, in your home life. You look at your neighbors and say, if only I had that, if only I were like that. That way leads to death. It'll kill you. I have never been particularly afraid to stand up in front of talk, to talk to people. And I'm only going to share this with you, not to fish for compliments or for a pity party, but just to give you a personal illustration of this. But recently, my confidence as a preacher has been very low. It's very difficult to preach in the information age uh, to a bunch of consumers. So you're able to go online or flip on the television or turn on the radio and listen to preachers who are much wiser, wittier, and funnier than me. And we live in such a consumeristic age, so we, we all evaluate everything. Does it please us? Does it tickle our ears? Does it make us feel good? And it's hard for me to come up and speak to you because I know that you're doing those things. You're evaluating it. How was church today? Well, this was like this, or this wasn't good enough, or etc. And you can watch a certain thing online and say, oh, that's what real preaching is like. And for me, this is even more difficult because, as will happen in another hour, Paul Rasmussen will get up to preach, and he's a very well-liked preacher. And it's very intimidating me to preach before him and think people are just comparing me unfavorably to him. But I want to be a good preacher in my life, and there's no way I can ever preach with power and passion if I'm worried about trying to be like somebody else, if I'm trying to tell somebody else's joke or make a point the way somebody else would make it or talk like somebody else. It'll kill me inside. And of course, if God has called me to the ministry, which I believe he has, he's going to give me my own stones, so to speak, like David, and trust that what I have is what I need. That's one of the challenges I fight in trying to put on somebody else's armor. What about you? So the first problem with putting on somebody else's armor is that it will ultimately kill us. It will eat us up inside. We're unable to be whom God has called us to be. But there's another reason, and it's this. As soon as we put on somebody else's armor, we accept the premises of the fight that our enemies have put forward. Let me say that in another way. As soon as we put on our, somebody else's armor, we believe that the way our enemies are going about the fight is the right way. See, the Israelites believed that the only way to defeat Goliath was through being stronger than Goliath, because Goliath was a man of strength. It's just about being stronger than the enemy that opposes you. So, for example, in the fight against terrorism, we think the way to stop the terrorists is to kill more terrorists than they can kill of us. In the fight against drugs, we think if we just had more funding, more police, more weapons than the drug dealers, we would win. In our failing schools, we think if we just had larger budgets, that would solve our problems. And ultimately, we become the very thing we're fighting against. Follow me here. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, one of the reasons that many people give for not coming to faith in Christ is because they look around and see the way that the church has behaved for the last 2,000 years. The church is a glorious institution that God has used it powerfully. But we are sinful people and often we have used the church and in the name of Jesus committed terrible deeds. Here's why. 
we see the evil that's against us, and we believe we just need to use a little bit of that evil to defeat the evil. Yesterday, I heard a news report about uh, another one of these bombings in northern Nigeria. Nigeria is one of these places that's fraught with war between uh, Christians and Muslims. And there's been some Islamic terrorists who have been setting bombs off and blowing up uh, churches and Christians. And it's a, a terrible thing. And I've been thinking about these Nigerians and particularly the Christian brothers and sisters that we have over there. And I've been praying for them because the sad story of Nigeria is not just about Muslim violence on Christians. It's also about Christians turning around and killing the Muslims and planting their own bombs and hacking other people to death. See, they become the very thing they're fighting against. And as Sam Wells, who's the chaplain at Duke University, put it in his baccalaureate address in 2010, if we're not careful, we become exactly like the Goliaths we're fighting. Do you follow that? As soon as you give in and say, that's what the fight is about, and you accept your enemy's terms, you become on the path towards your enemy. So, if you're fighting against the Goliath of infertility, you believe that unless you can conceive, there is no hope for you. You, you take it on its own terms. If you're fighting against the battle of cancer, you believe, unless everything works out with me a certain way, I'm going to lose. You already concede the battle. How are you tempted to put on somebody's armor, somebody else's armor this morning in your professional life, in your home life? Are you fighting the fight with the things that God has given you, the, smiths, the five smooth stones from the stream? Or are you trying to become like somebody else? What about a, this church? We need to be careful that we're not trying to be somebody else's idea of what a church should be or like the church down the street or across the city. We need to be faithful to the call God's given us right here in this time and place and use the things God has given us and not try to be like somebody else. It's a temptation we all fight. Friends, we need to name the Goliaths in our lives. There's a lot of bad things. The Goliaths in our lives are things that are evil, that bring destruction, that rip families apart, that hurt human lives. We need to name them, we need to fight them, we need to have the purpose of that in our lives. But we also need to beware and resist the temptation of putting on somebody else's armor and accepting the terms of the battle that our enemies give us. So we have David. David takes off the armor, he says, I'm not going to do that. He knows that he's been trained as a shepherd, he takes the five smooth stones from the stream and he walks out to fight Goliath. And this is... Chapter 17, verse 43. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. And then David has one of these lines. To me, this is one of the great lines in all of scripture. If there was ever a verse to memorize, to write on your mirror, to keep in your wallet, it's this one. David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. And now we see David's confidence, or really where David's confidence comes from. David knows he's just a small shepherd boy. He knows Goliath is a mighty warrior. But David's confidence is not in his own ability on its own, it's in his ability when it's used by God. In his background, in his story, in his five smooth stones, in his shepherd's staff, and his shepherd's sling when it's used by God. See, the story of David and Goliath is, when you fight in the name of the Lord Almighty, you cannot lose. You cannot be defeated. One of the things this story tells us is something that we need to be careful of all the time. 
and not to assume that the Goliaths in our lives are invincible and the results are inevitable. What are the ways you've already given in to the fight and said, I can't fight that, I can't beat that? Our family will never be reconciled. The children in Dallas who don't learn to read will never learn how to read. The orphans in Africa can never be saved. My marriage is a lost cause. This disease is going to kill me and defeat me with it. What are the ways in which you're already giving in to the Goliaths and believing the lie that the result is inevitable? David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. What would your day look like tomorrow if you said, regardless of what comes at me today, regardless of what the doctor's report says, or what the lawyer says, or what my sales report says, I'm coming against these things in the name of the Lord Almighty. How would things change for you? Now, this is where I need to tell you something that's different than you think I'm going to tell you. Now, I really do believe if we trust in the resources that God has given us, our five smooth stones, so to speak, and we attack the Goliaths in our lives with confidence and the power of God, I really do believe that God will often bring us to victory. See, of course, because David trusts in God and in who he is, that's why precisely he's able to defeat Goliath. You'll know the story Goliath is running at David. David is running at Goliath. He reaches calmly in his pouch, pulls out one of the five smooth stones, and slings it right at Goliath. It hits him at the one place in which he's vulnerable, the center of his forehead, and he falls, and the small shepherd, young teenage boy, defeats the mighty warrior. If David had come out against him with sword and spear, he would have died. But because David trusted in the power of God, David's weakness, in fact, was his strength. He was able to defeat Goliath in an unexpected and unlooked-for way. I believe if we approach some of the problems that face us in the power of God, we'll have victories. I really do believe that. I really do believe if you approach some of the situations in your life in which you find yourself facing hatred and evil, if you come to it with love and compassion, I believe often God can bring you victory. But, and this is maybe different than you expect me to say, if the message of this story is only trusting God and everything will work out for you, if this is only a rah-rah sermon about a pep rally, about trying harder and working harder, it would be a lie. It's not true. That's not the way the world works. We live in the real world. Sometimes the Goliaths defeat the Davids, so it seems. Sometimes cancer kills the body. Sometimes the couple cannot conceive. Sometimes there are orphans born, and they have nobody to care for them. Sometimes drugs do something like they're ripping apart the fabric of our society. It is false to have some sort of naive view that if we just run at the giants in our lives, that everything will work out in the way we intend it to work out. But you see, the gospel is not about us trying harder. It's not some message that we get from a talk show host about just self-help. The gospel is about the power of God that's been manifested in Jesus Christ. See, Christ went up against the ultimate Goliath, that of sin and death, and he was crucified. Sometimes the dictators order that the Christians become martyred. Sometimes people die. Sometimes it doesn't have a happy ending, so it seems. But the power of the gospel and the message of the gospel is not the crucifixion of Jesus on its own. It's that the crucified Christ was raised from the dead in the third day. The gospel is about the power of God, the Father who sent the Son who was raised by the Spirit. And so... If that's the gospel, then we look back at this story of David and Goliath and we think about the Goliaths in our lives and we realize, in fact, that David was right. When you approach the Goliaths in your lives in the name of the Lord Almighty, you cannot lose. 
because the power of God is stronger than death. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement in England about uh, in the 18th century, in the 1700s. And one of the things that I'm most proud about to be a Methodist is part of our legacy is that Wesley dedicated uh, a lot of his life to fighting the international slave trade. Now, the international slave trade was entrenched with the corporate interests. You talk about uh, corporations uh, and the elected officials working together. That was the case in the 18th century in England. The international slave trade made a lot of money for the stockholders. And Wesley was not naive. And by the way, the gospel is never naive about the evils and about the Goliaths in our lives. Don't think that. Wesley was not naive and he knew that the evils that were entrenched against these interests were powerful. And the last letter he wrote was to a man named William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament who dedicated his political career to ending the international slave trade. And Wesley just said, keep on fighting, don't give up, even if it's you against the world. And one of his other late letters, he says to a friend, the evils that are arrayed against us are mighty, but God is mightier still. And if you go to Westminster Cathedral today, in the interior wall, there's a white marble monument to John and his brother Charles Wesley. And there's this unattributed quotation there at the bottom that says, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. You see, the Goliaths cannot win. It doesn't matter what happens to you or me. Sometimes God will bring us victory in this life. But even if we face the Goliaths and die, love is stronger than the power of death. Which means... You and I may not be able to stop the Goliaths in our city in our lifetime of drug abuse. You and I may not be able to keep fathers from running out in families in our lifetime. But if they're the Goliaths that we fight, if you're fighting against the Goliath of cancer or infertility, you cannot lose. Maybe perhaps God will not give you the gift of a child biologically. But in the power of love, you can love a small child who needs loving parents in his life. Maybe you will not be healed from the body from your cancer. I don't know. But I believe in the power of love, you can show what true life in God is like. And those whose lives are hidden with Christ in God will be raised just as Christ was raised from the dead. We need to name these Goliaths in our lives. We need to resist the temptation to put on somebody else's armor. And we need to go in the fight confident that if we come in the name of the Lord Almighty, we cannot lose, regardless of exterior circumstances. There was a young woman named Katie. She was from Brentwood, Tennessee. And she moved to Africa when she was 18 just to visit. And she saw the millions of orphans in poverty. And she decided to do something about it. She started a feeding ministry as an 18-year-old, which now feeds hundreds of kids. And now she is uh, in her early 20s. She is the adopted mother of 13 little African girls. As a single young woman from America, you talk about a Goliath, but she's attacking it in the power of the Lord Almighty. Check out this video. I 
I'm Katie Davis. I'm 21 years old and I live here in Uganda. I run Amazima Ministries and my full-time occupation is that I'm a mom to 14 little girls. The orphan clings to your hand Singing the song no, no. of how he was found doing a feeding program for this school where all the kids can come up and just be in the hands and feet of Jesus on a daily basis. where I just am thinking, thank you, God, for the privilege of being here and of serving you, because God could do it all by himself. He could take care of these kids, and he, that, that he would choose to use little old me to take care of them. Just, I feel very blessed to have what most people would consider an abnormal life, because I don't think there's anything better. God, we ask that you bless Katie and her work. Give her the courage to face the Goliaths that are in Uganda. Lord, help us to have the discernment to know the Goliaths to which you are calling us as a church and as a people. Maybe they're big, like international terrorism or drug abuse or orphans in Uganda. Maybe they seem smaller, like our neighbor across the street or within our own family. Lord, help us to approach the Goliaths in the faith that when we come in your name, we cannot be defeated regardless of what happens to the body because your love is stronger than the power of death. Give us the faith to have the faith of David, the faith of Katie. We ask this in your holy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> 